Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Desiring the Kingdom, a study of the books of First and Second Kings. Here's Pastor Nick. Trying to appease them because he was so afraid of them that he said, okay, I'll see if I can pay them off. I'll appease them. We'll give them all of our money. So he cleared out his own personal money, all of the money of the country. And it says that he even scraped the doorposts of the temple to try and get off whatever gold and silver he could get. Everything they had, they gave it to the Assyrians and said, okay, take our money and leave us alone. And the Assyrians said, okay, sure thing, you got it. Except as it turns out, guys, I don't know if you're surprised by this, but the king of Assyria was not very good at keeping his promises. He said, okay, I'll leave you alone. But then he didn't. He didn't keep his promise. He came right back and attacked them again, even after Hezekiah pays him off. In fact, here's what I'll tell you. We can be sure that all of the promises of the Assyrians that they made to the people of Jerusalem, they were absolutely empty promises. They had absolutely no intention of actually doing the things that they promised to do. For example, in chapter 18, verse 31, the Assyrian commander, he comes and he promises the people of Jerusalem, if you surrender to us, we will give you land in Assyria. You'll drink wine. You'll eat You'll eat honey. Uh, it will be amazing. You'll live like kings. And then in verse 23, he promises, if you surrender to us, we'll give you 2,000 horses. Who doesn't love horses, right? Of course they want that. But these were completely empty promises. That was the first tactic of the enemy here, was empty promises. Now, how do we know that these were empty promises? Well, we know it partly because of historical records. Some of these records come from the Assyrians themselves. They took very detailed records, some of which, by the way, are found in the British Museum in London. You can go and see them yourself. But there were also other nations at this time who were keeping records. For example, the Egyptians who faced off against the Assyrians. And what we know from all these historical records as well as depictions, drawings, paintings, is that the Assyrians, uh, they would often do this, where they would try to get a nation to surrender. But once that nation surrendered, they did not make them live like kings in Assyria. No, when a nation surrendered to Assyria, here's what they would do. They would take the population of the, of the city or of the country, they would bind them and tie them up, and they would take big hooks, like, like think big fish hooks, and they would put these hooks through their noses and then through their cheeks, right? In their face, they would put these hooks. And then they would lance all these together with a rope, and they would chain the people together, and they would lead them by a rope, from wherever they lived, to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, where they would be sold on the street as slaves. Listen, if, if the people of Judah, if they surrender to Assyria, these promises of horses, the promises of land and a good life, these are all lies. They're empty lies. They're not true. The only thing that awaits them if they surrender, if they give in to this enemy, is bondage and captivity and hooks through their noses and slavery. Another tactic that the Assyrians used, if you read in chapter 18 and 19, is that they, they tried to sow seeds of doubt in the people's minds about God's love and about God's power. Over and over in, in these two excuse me, in these two chapters, the Assyrians tell the people of Jerusalem, 
Don't think that your God will save you. Your God cannot save you against us. We are too powerful. Not even your God can save us. I mean, look, all of the other nations we conquered, they had gods too, and none of their gods saved them. Why do you think that your God would save you? In fact, the, the Assyrian commander says at one point, your God has actually abandoned you. Now, listen, none of that was actually true. It wasn't true that God couldn't save them, and it wasn't true that God had abandoned them. But the Assyrians were using these tactics to get the people of Israel to give in, to surrender, to give up. Now, as we read this, you can't help but be reminded, can you, of the enemy of our souls, Satan, the devil. These are the same tactics that he uses to get us to succumb to fear and temptation in our lives as well. Jesus told us this about the devil. He said he is a thief and he comes only to steal kill and destroy. In another passage in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that the devil is a murderer and he is a liar. He is the father of lies. When he lies, he is speaking his native language. That's what he does. He lies. When the Assyrians did, uh, what the Assyrians did to the people of Jerusalem is the same thing that the enemy of our souls does to us. He will tempt you with false promises, first of all. If you do this, even though it's wrong, even though you know it's sinful, you will be happy. You will be happy. You will be satisfied. It will be worth it. But when you actually give in, when you actually surrender to that temptation, rather than getting what was promised, you know what you get? You get a hook through your nose, right? You get bondage. You get slavery. Satan, you know what else he does? He also sows seeds of doubt in our minds about God's goodness and God's love. You know, the word Satan, I hope you know this, right? Satan isn't like his name. Like when he signs up for a credit card, he doesn't write like Mr. Satan, right? Satan is a, is a descriptor of who he is and what he does. So is the word devil, right? So Satan is a Hebrew word, which means adversary. Devil is, comes from a Greek word, which means slanderer. So these words are not his name. They, they're describing who he is and what he does. He is a slanderer. How does he slander? He slanders God. Well, what does that mean? He tries to get you to believe things about God which are not true. Think back to the Garden of Eden when the serpent was trying to tempt Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. What did he say to her? First of all, he accused God of not really having her best interest in mind, of not wanting the best for her. He told her, there's something good here, and God is withholding it from you because he's mean and capricious and petty. And that's why he doesn't want you to have a good time. That's why he's withholding things from you that would be great, that you would love, that would just be awesome for you. That wasn't true. The other thing that he told her was he made a false promise to Eve, didn't he? He told Eve, if you eat this, you will not actually die. Now, that wasn't true either. You see, neither of these things that the enemy, that the serpent said to Eve, were true. And the same is true in our lives. When you face challenges and difficulties in your life, there may be a temptation to believe the false promises of the enemy, to take the sinful route because it seems easier or more pleasurable than doing what God has called you to do. So the question is, when you are facing challenges and difficulties in your life, how will you respond? Will you give in to fear? Will you give in to temptation? Well, I'm here to tell you today, 
that there's good news. You don't have to respond in those ways. You don't have to give in. There is another way to respond. And we see this as we continue on in this sentence. In the face of your challenges, rather than succumbing to fear and temptation, you can cast your cares upon the God who cares. In chapter 19, verse 1, it says that as soon as Hezekiah heard the news that Jerusalem was surrounded and that the Assyrians were telling the people of uh, the Assyrians were telling the people of Jerusalem that God could not and would not save them and that God had abandoned them, it says that Hezekiah heard this and he tore his clothes and he covered himself with sackcloth and he went to the house of the Lord. So tearing your clothes, covering yourself in sackcloth, these were common practices in the ancient world for people who were in distress or grief or mourning. And so where does Hezekiah go in his distress, in his moment of grief and anxiety? He goes to the house of the Lord. Now that's important. When you are facing challenges in your life and trials and difficulties, you can respond by turning away from God, but you can also respond by turning to God. Right? You can respond by walking away from God in that moment, or you can respond by running to God in that moment. You know, the enemy would love for you to be the kind of person who, the moment it gets tough or difficult in your life, you throw up your hands and you walk away from God. But let me just remind you of this. Doing so, it doesn't make any sense. This is what always comes to my mind when people are like, I'm having a hard time and I'm finished with God. It's like, do you think that if you turn away from God that that will solve your problems? Will it make your problems go away? Of course it won't. In fact, all that it will take away from you is your hope, the source of your strength. It will take away from you the source of fellowship in the midst of that difficulty, the strength to carry you through it and the hope to get you through it. Rather than turning away from God in the face of this challenge, Hezekiah runs towards God. He goes to the house of God, and it says in verse 2 that he spoke to the priests there in the temple, and he asked them to send word to the prophet Isaiah. So Hezekiah ran to the house of the Lord, and he is seeking to hear a word from the Lord. He wants to know what God has to say about the situation that he's in. So the prophet Isaiah, this is the same prophet who wrote the book of Isaiah. He was there on the scene during the time of Hezekiah. It says that he gave Hezekiah a word from the Lord, a prophecy. It's found in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 19. And here's what Isaiah's prophecy said. I'll just summarize it for you. First of all, Isaiah said, Hezekiah, you do not need to worry about the words of the king of Assyria because God has heard them and God is going to take care of the situation. God is going to deal with this situation. So you don't need to worry about it. Furthermore, God said through this prophecy that he would cause the king of Assyria to go back, to leave Jerusalem and go back home to Assyria. And there in Assyria, when he got back home, he would die by the edge of a sword. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue. 
in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com. Well, Hezekiah didn't know how exactly God was going to deal with the situation there in front of him in Jerusalem. All he knew was that God was going to do something. And we read in verse 14 that Hezekiah took this letter, this letter from the king of Assyria demanding his surrender, this letter that was causing him distress and anguish. And it says that he laid this letter out before the Lord. He, you know, he laid it out on a table or on the floor. He laid this letter out before the Lord. And verse 15, he prayed. I want to read this prayer to you. It's one of the great prayers of the Bible. Here's what it says. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear and hear, O Lord. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, they were the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone." This is a great prayer, one of the great prayers of the Bible. King Hezekiah, rather than succumbing to fear and temptation, he casts his cares upon the Lord. He lays it all out before God, both literally and figuratively. The Apostle Peter encourages us to do the same thing. Here's what he says. Cast your cares, cast your anxieties upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Think about it, like a hot potato, like a live hand grenade, right? Somebody pulled the pin and put it in your hands. You're holding on to that thing. What are you going to do? You're going to get rid of it. You're going to cast it off. You're going to get it to somebody else. That's the idea here. Cast it away, but don't just cast it away. Cast it upon the Lord. He says, cast it upon me. I invite you to do that. I care about you. I want to know what's going on in your heart, in your life, and I want to help you through this. Here's what we're told in Philippians chapter 4. Paul the Apostle tells us this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, if you do that, in other words, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, what is prayer? Prayer is not just a, a religious ritual. It is not just one more thing that you need to add to your long checklist of things that you need to do. One more obligation. No, you know what prayer is? It's a privilege. It's an invitation from God to you to speak to him. And he cares. He said, speak to me about the things going on in your life. I care for you and I love you. And I want you to cast your cares and anxiety upon me. Don't hold on to them yourself. Don't carry them yourself. Cast them upon me. But here's the thing. Not only does he care, but there's more to it than that. 
He doesn't only care, but he is also a God who can actually do something about the things that you face. And that brings us to the final part of our sentence, and that's this. In the face of our challenges, rather than succumbing to fear and temptation, we can cast our cares upon the God who cares and has the power to save. He has the power to save. It says in verse 20 that Isaiah the prophet, after Hezekiah prayed, Isaiah comes back to him and he says, thus says the Lord, I have heard your prayer. Another translation, the New King James translation, it puts that verse in this way. It says, because you prayed, Isaiah tells him, because you prayed, God is going to save Jerusalem. Now think about that. Because he prayed, God is going to save Jerusalem. That's interesting, isn't it? Because if you're anything like me, there are times when you pray and you may feel that your prayers are not making a difference or that they aren't being answered, right? You pray and you're not sure that anything changes or anything happens. Maybe you even wonder sometimes, does it even matter if I pray? I mean, God already knows everything. It's not like I'm telling him something he doesn't know. And isn't God able? Doesn't he have the ability and the power to do and accomplish whatever he wants without me. So, so maybe I should not even bother. Like, why bother praying if it doesn't even really make a difference? Now yet, I want to show you what it says in these verses. Think, think about this and look at it. It says that because Hezekiah prayed, God saved Jerusalem from the Assyrians. Because he prayed. The implication is this. If Hezekiah had not prayed, God would not have saved Jerusalem on this day. So think about it. The fate of this city stood or fell based on Hezekiah's prayer. In other words, Hezekiah's prayer, it wasn't just a devotional exercise that helped him personally. No, this was something that made a real difference in the lives of many people. We're told in James chapter 2 that there are times when we do not have from God because we have not asked in prayer. One writer put it this way. He said this, We should ask ourselves, how many blessings, how many victories lie unclaimed in heaven until the Lord will say, because you have prayed to me. How many blessings? How many victories? In the face of your challenges and your difficulties and trials, remember this. Worrying does not fix your problems. It doesn't make your problems go away, right? None of you, by worrying, can add a single minute to your lives. You can't, you can't add hair to your head. I wish you could. I would, I would take up worrying as my next hobby, right? It doesn't, but it doesn't work that way. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything. But there's a God in heaven who cares for you, and he has the power to actually do something about the things that you are up against, even something as big and, and seemingly foregone as the Assyrian attack on Jerusalem. We read at the end there of chapter 19 that God did not allow even a single Assyrian arrow to be shot into Jerusalem. And we read in verse 35 that the angel of the Lord came in the middle of the night and struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers so that when the people woke up, all the soldiers lay dead. 
That's incredible. And here's the thing. I've told you, there are all these historical records of the Assyrians. Well, there's an interesting one that the Assyrians write about where they say, in one time they were camped out for battle, and in the middle of the night, their, their camp was infested with rats. And these rats destroyed a lot of their equipment, like their arrows and their bows. But also, the rats were biting the people, and the people got sick, and many of them died. Now listen, we don't know if that is the same description of what is happening here in verse 35. It could be that the angel of the Lord just caused all these people to die in their sleep in the middle of the night. We don't know, but it is interesting that they have something similar in their own records. So the angel of the Lord came, and all these soldiers die. The people of Judah, they didn't stand a chance against the Assyrians, but in the end, the people of Judah didn't even end up fighting the Assyrians at all. God fought this battle for them, and God gave the victory. The enemy was far too strong and far too powerful for Judah, but not for the Lord. God told the Assyrian king Sennacherib, check out what it says in verse 28. God says uh, through the prophet Isaiah, Sennacherib, I will put my hooks in your nose and turn you back the way you came. How gangster is that, right? God's like, you guys, you've been putting hooks in people's faces. I'm going to put my hook in your face and lead you back to Assyria where you came from. You get out of here and you leave my people alone. And we're told in verse 36 that all after the sudden death, this mysterious death of these 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, Sennacherib packed up and he went back to Nineveh just as God had said he would. And in the last verse of the chapter, verse 37, it tells us that there at home in Assyria, he was killed by the edge of the sword just as the prophecy said he would. In fact, it tells us that he was killed by his own sons as he worshipped in one of the pagan temples. Just one last interesting note on this man, Sennacherib, and that is this, that I mentioned in the British Museum, there is a document which the British brought back from modern-day Iraq, and it is called the Annals of Sennacherib. You can go see it. I really think that's one of the great museums of the world, the British Museum in London. Go see it for yourself. They have a whole bunch of Assyrian stuff, but they have this document called the Annals of Sennacherib, which is kind of his... Uh, autobiography, if you will. And in it, Sennacherib writes about all the amazing things he did and what he accomplished, who he conquered, and all of these things. But it's really interesting when he talks about Jerusalem because he says, I conquered this city, I conquered that city, I conquered this country, I conquered these people, but not Jerusalem. It actually lists Jerusalem. It says, I got money from them, but I did not conquer them, which is exactly what it says here in the Bible as well. Listen, in the face of your challenges... Rather than succumbing to fear and temptation, you can cast your cares upon the God who cares and who has the power to save. I just want to ask you this. What is it in your life right now that you need to lay it out before the Lord, that you need to lay out before God and pray about? What is it in your life right now that is causing you anxiety and worry? The Lord is inviting you to cast it upon him. He can actually do something about it. And maybe he is waiting for you to bring it to him in prayer before he will do something about it. One of the reasons why the Lord allows challenges and difficulties in your life, he doesn't allow them just in spite of the fact that he loves you. In many cases, he allows them because he loves you. That is why he does it. And here's, here's part of that. Think about this. Your faith cannot grow unless it is tested. Your faith cannot grow unless it is tested. Faith can't grow unless you use it. And therefore, faith can't grow unless it is tested. 
That's why Paul the Apostle, he tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says this, these light and momentary afflictions that we face here on earth, the hardships of this life, they are accomplishing something. They're not in vain. They are actually accomplishing something. And here's what they're accomplishing. They are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it is not the promise of an easy life here on earth. It is something better than that. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is your advocate. You know what an advocate is, right? An advocate is someone who acts on your behalf and on your best interest. An advocate is someone who stands up for you and fights for you. That is what Jesus has done for us, and he continues to do for us. On the cross, in the most ultimate way, Jesus took your place and acted on your behalf. He, the only sinless one, was nailed to the cross to take the judgment for your sins. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he defeated the greatest enemies of sin and death so that you could be saved. But that's not all. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 7. It says this, that Jesus now forever lives to make intercession for us. He forever lives to make intercession for us. What that means is that he is not finished advocating for you. He is still advocating for you, fighting for you, acting on your behalf. But notice what else it says there in verse, uh, in chapter 7 of Hebrews 25 there. It says this, This promise, who does it apply to? It applies to all those who draw near to God through him. What does it mean to draw near to God through Jesus? It means to trust in him for your salvation and to follow him with your life. Trusting in him for your salvation and following him with your life. May that be true of all of us today. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.